0: Well, good morning. How y'all doing? doing? Yeah, great. Um, Ball humbug, huh? It's, no, come on. You can do better than that. How y'all doing? Awesome. Hey, you're hearty Nebraskans, you know. You're resilient. I'm from Iowa. We're just about that resilient. Not quite as much as Nebraska, but, you know. It's, anyway, I don't see any Iowa shirts on in here, but no you know pastor Mike said that you know being friends you know the book of proverbs says in order to you know have friends you have to be friendly that might be a new concept for some of you you know your reason that maybe you don't have friends is having, haven't showed yourself friendly but anyway that's a whole other message I won't go into <clears throat> but you know I can remember when Mike was saying you know I was pastoring in Yankton uh Back in 1990 is when we went there, and i didn't really know sick about pastoring a church, thought I did, but i didn't and and Mike and Kathy were some of the first couples that really kind of reached out to us in that this area and and became uh, fast friends and it is you know one of the things about friendship is that you got to work at it it can't be a one way street you have to be willing to to make sacrifices to have friends and and, uh, you know, Abraham was called the friend of God. Abraham made a lot of sacrifices in order to be the friend of God. And uh, from that, I think it's it's good to make a lot of sacrifices to be the friend of God. Amen. Amen. And in today's culture, in today's climate, we, we do have to be willing to make sacrifices if we want to stay in that friendship with God and friendship with one another, friendship knowing, you know, What God's doing. And uh, so I'm I'm going to talk to you today about some things. It's probably more of a talk than it is preaching. Uh, There's just some things that have been stirring in me the last, oh, probably year, year and a half. And it's it's getting stronger and stronger. And I'm adamant about some things because I don't want to see us miss what God's doing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. And I'm willing to pay whatever price I need to pay to stay right in step with God. Let me tell you a little story. This happened a number of years ago. I was sitting with my great aunt. Um, she was in an assisted living uh, facility in Harlan, Iowa. I was pasting, pastoring there at the time. And, and at that time, she was about 102. She passed away when she was 103. So this was about when she was about 102. And I was sitting in a room with her talking, just talking about things, about life, 102 years old, and and so um, she began to tell me the story about her as a little girl with her family moving from the Sand Hills of Nebraska to Southwest Iowa, and that's where we were at at the time, and that's where she lived many much of her her life, little town in Southwest Iowa, but she 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 recounted the. The journey, the experience of moving from the sand hills of Nebraska to Southwest Iowa in a covered wagon, and I'm sitting there, and she's she's here. I'm sitting here, and her television was here, and her television was on. The sound was turned down. Her eyesight was failing, and so she couldn't really see television, but she could hear. She would listen. She loved to listen to college basketball, and so she would sit and listen to college basketball. But the TV's on. She's telling me this story about her experience of moving in a covered wagon, and I'm sitting there the whole time watching a live uh, you know, video or live on TV of one of the space shuttles taking off. And all of a sudden it hit me. Here's this woman who in her life has experienced everything from the covered wagon journeying in a covered wagon to a space shuttle taking off to go into, you know, the outer you know, resources or outer areas of our, of our world. Stop and think about that. And the thing that hit me is all the changes that this woman has experienced and seen going from a covered wagon the space shuttle i asked her i said of all the presidents in your life that since you've been alive and that you've either heard on the radio or heard live in some via form of media i said who is your favorite and she said oh teddy roosevelt by far i'm thinking teddy Ro- i've only read about him in the history books and this woman had listened to him live speak on the radio teddy roosevelt Imagine the vast wealth that she had and all the changes of the knowledge of the changes, the things that she had seen change. She was telling me about the first time she saw a light bulb. And the first light bulb that she ever saw come on. And she said, We all just stood there, just mesmerized by this light bulb. We take it for granted. We walked in the room. How many of you stopped this morning and just mesmerized by these for us? And so, oh my gosh! No, see, it's it's norm to us, and see, and that's the challenge that we have if we're not careful. Is 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 the, 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 as things advance and things change. If we're not careful, then then we miss it and we don't realize, you know, we can be captured by something that's archaic and be caught in that. Now, turn with me, if you would, please, in your Bibles if you have them, or your electronic device, whatever you're using. To read this one, I want to go to Acts chapter 10. I'm gonna kind of springboard from there. I'm gonna read not the whole chapter, of course, but I'm gonna read portions of this to kind of lay out to you what's going on here if you're not familiar. Beginning of verse 1, it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of prayer, or that have meant about 3 p.m. in the afternoon of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. That's interesting. That word memorial means a covenant remembrance. you got to understand that our, our, our giving and our prayers, God responds to them because they're covenant connections. They're with, that's why I'm so excited about you guys having nights of prayer and worship. Why? Because those are, are covenant actions. Those are things that, 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 that God holds dear to and God responds to. God responded to these covenant connections. So, as you come and pray these next few weeks, expect God to respond to them. Why? Because they are covenant elements. Okay? They're not just something that we're doing and something that. No, God responds. Because, see, God responds to every element of covenant. And your giving is a covenant action, your worship is a covenant action. And God will respond to those. Okay? So. He said, and now, verse 5, and now send men to a Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter, who is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And when the angel spoke to him, he had, uh, who had spoke to him departed, he called for his servants and the devout soldier, and he sends them to Joppa. Now, let's drop down into verse 9. And the next day, as they were journeying and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour uh, to pray. And... um that's about noon. And he came, uh, uh, became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, he fell into a trance and and uh, saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said this, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time. and says, what God has made made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. So here, you know, here's, we see this setting, you know. Peter's, he's there praying, and all of a sudden he has this vision of God, this encounter with God, and God tells him, you know, shows him this vision. He says, now I want you to partake of these things and these things were if you, if you study out what this was, if you go back into you know Deuteronomy chapter 14 and, or excuse me Deuteronomy chapter 11 and Leviticus 14, these things were prohibited from any Jewish individual to partake in and according to the law, if you partook of these things you were defiled. it's like sin. And here God shows up to him and says, I want you to partake of these things. And he's like, with any good Jewish individual would say, no way, man. And so sometimes I think we read this, we don't understand the significance of what God was asking Peter to do. He was asking him to do something that seemed diametric to the law of God. But yet God was asking him to do this. What was he doing? He was trying to get Peter to understand that there had been a significant change. That there was a, a, a means that God was ever in, endeavoring to do to reach, to use him to reach the world. Because what God was wanting him to do was to reach out to an individual that he would in no way, shape, or form enter his home let alone associate with him, but to go to his home. It was forbidden. But yet God was asking him to do that. And as I said and read this here lately, it's like it seems as though that in in our day, in our time, in our culture, God is asking us to do some bizarre things, to reach out to people in certain ways in, in certain people, in certain ways, it would seem diametric to what, in our tradition, in our upbringing, we would not do. And so my whole world has been kind of messed up the last few years. And some of the things that God is, is asking me to do and, so to, and, and, and asking me to uh, reach out to certain people's. We we are in the you know we're in a pretty crazy time. And everybody agree with that, you know. It's an election year, and everybody's a Christian. You know, everybody loves Jesus. Everybody knows Jesus. They um, can't quote anything correctly that he says, but nevertheless, everybody's a everybody's a Christian, and that's about as political as I'll get right there. Um, But I think God is endeavoring to show us something in this and to realize that that, that things have and are changing drastically. And so because of that, we have to realize that there are some things we're going to have to look at differently than what we have. I'll use this another illustration. A number of years ago, I read a book called The Starfish and the Spider. And the premise of this book is that if you take a spider and cut off its legs, it'll die. And if you take a starfish and cut off its legs, anybody know what will happen? They'll grow back. And so the whole premise of this book was about how when we went into the Middle East and began war there, our war plans strategies were based around confronting a centralized command and taking out that centralized command. And in taking out that centralized command, the rest of the dissemination of the armies would break down, surrender, and all that. But that didn't happen in the Middle East. When we went in the Middle East, we'd we'd take out this command, and two more would pop up. And we'd take those two out, and four more would pop up. And so in that, would quickly... Our military leaders realized that we had to completely restructure how we did war. And it took them 10 or 12 years to do it. And they still haven't got it all. See, if they, and I'm using this to say, if we, if they would have kept saying, no, we have to keep doing war this way, I have to keep doing this way, you realize where we would be? We'd be in a lot bigger mess than where we're at right now. And church, I'm telling you, if we keep doing the same thing, if we don't understand that, honey, the times they are a-changing, and if we don't stay astute enough to be led by the Spirit of God and understand how we need to reach the culture in the changing culture in which we are living in. And our challenge is this: is preaching a never-changing gospel to an ever-changing culture. And the only way that we're going to do that is if we, if we are drawing near enough to God to allow him to speak to our hearts, to direct our lives. If we really will, listen to the Spirit of God. He'll show us because that's what happened to Peter. God, the Spirit of God came to him in a vision and showed him what he must do to reach out to this man. And not only this man, but this man's life was affected And his family was affected, and his friends, because he invited all them, their lives were changed. But are we willing to forsake all of those types of encounters for the sake of, well, I don't like change. I just don't like change. Guess what? Change comes. You know, I don't like the fact that I'm getting older. I'm 62, I'll be 63 this year, I know, I don't look it, but I feel it sometimes. You know, I could used to come up to a gate and jump over it, now I climb up one side and down the other. Why is that? Because change, I've got to realize that, you know, think some things have to change, we have to do some things differently. But it seems like in the, in the church world, we, we are the ones that fear change the most. And we, we praise an ever progressive and, and God doesn't change, but God is always progressive. God is always moving us forward into His ultimate plan and purpose. And if you read the Bible, you'll understand that that came through the process of thousands of changes. say, oh, I wish I would have lived in Jesus' day. Oh, really? wish I would have lived in the day of the book of Acts. Do you realize what they were challenged with? Jesus sits on the, on the, on the, on the, the Sermon of the Mount, and, and he says to them six times, you've heard it said, but now I say unto you. Diametric to what they had learned through the law. Jesus said, now I say to you. They're just messing with their theology. And that's what Jesus is doing today. He's messing with our theology. He's not messing with his theology. He's messing with our theology. And I discovered that I had some things in my theology that when Jesus started messing me with that, I realized something. It wasn't lining up with his theology. You see, here, here's what happens is that, 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 you know, my generation, we had some amazing encounters with God, didn't we, Sandy? Amazing encounters with God. I've known Sandy almost as long as I've known Mike and Kathy. And we're still friends. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm not that easy to get along with. No, I am, really. And so, you know, we have these, we had these amazing encounters with God, powerful, but amazing encounter with God has a danger to it, Brad, because what happens when we have an amazing encounter with God, we get crystallized in that, we really do. We get captured in that and, and, and we begin to think that's the greatest thing God's ever done and that's the only way that God's ever going to do it and we got to stay right here and camp out. Then the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, Peter, James, and John had an amazing encounter with God, with Jesus. They've seen the transfiguration of Jesus. They saw, as, as Frederick Bruner said, they saw the inside of Jesus come out. Well, who he was really on the inside came out. By the way, that's something God's really trying to get us to do, who we really are on the inside, come out. The problem is is that we're afraid to what's on the inside to let it out. He has this amazing encounter, which is, what's, what's, what's Peter say? Let me build three booths, and let's stay here. And God said, you're missing it, Peter. Because this encounter wasn't for you to stay here. This encounter was to transform you so that you could go and transform other people. So that you could go and become the change agent. Become the presence of God. To a people to another generation. See, I want to be... I'm willing to change and to look at things differently and to do things differently because I want to be the presence of God to the subsequent generations. Pastor Mike and I were talking to drive up my daughters today. They laugh about it today. They didn't when it was going on. I was back in the 80s and 90s. I was so legalistic. They, they laugh about, somebody will say, oh, you know, remember the Smurfs? And they'll go, we weren't allowed to watch the Smurfs. They were demonic. I can, I can remember one time when my oldest daughter, I found a cassette tape. For those of you that don't know what, if you're under 30 and you don't know what a cassette tape is, go to the antique store. They're this little rectangle thing, you know, and they have a tape. I've, I found a, um, I think it was an Aerosmith or janie has got a gun. Oh, no small stir happened in our house. I had that cassette tape. I was in the kitchen. I was ripping it up. And she's going, Dad, that's not mine. That's my friend's. I don't care. We're not having that kind of demonic music in my house. It's a wonder my girls still love me. I was so, I mean, legalistic and, you know, and, and stupid. I mean, my heart was right in the sense I, I really wanted, I really wanted, I really loved God and I really wanted the presence of God. The only thing I didn't realize that, that, that God wasn't getting moved by just all the things that I was doing. What he wanted was me to just love him and be focused on him. See, there's a generation that is coming up. And the thing about it is, is that if we're not careful, we want them to have the same encounter that we had. And it's what I call, we're, we're, we're asking this generation, Caleb, come here. I'll pick on Caleb. He's big. He can handle it. See, what, what I'm wanting to do is I wanted Caleb's generation to, to have the encounter I had. The only problem is is that, you know, what that is is I'm asking them to, to have a refurbished encounter with God rather than their own vivid, authentic Encounter with God. And so what my generation is trying to do is trying to, trying to push them into a, into a move of God. I push them into a love. And push them into encounter. Push them to have, seeing Jesus. And push them to. And so, yeah. No, I feel how solid he is. I'm not going to push him too hard. And the only reason that we, you know, the reason that why we push Is because we don't have anything in us viable to incite them to follow us. See, I push because I don't have anything in me that's intriguing them to follow me. Why? Because I'm still doing things that are kind of archaic, I'm still doing things that are from that crystallized crystallization that's come into my life. Because I think this is the only way that God's going to move and touch people's lives. You can only do it this way. See, the reason that God in the Ten Commandments, God said, have no other, have no graven images before you. Why is that? Because the moment we, 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 we take, and this is kind of quirky, but let's say, you know, this is, this is God. I create that this is, this is God. What happens now? my revelation of God has become limited. and My friends, we don't realize how much we've done that. We've created idols. And the idols aren't a, an image that we set on the mantle of our fireplace, but the idols that we've created are the ones that we encountered, the moves that we encountered 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Instead of staying open, to what, how and what God's going to do today. So I want to come along, and, that, and the first thing i got to do with this generation is I have to try to at least understand some element about them. That's a challenge sometimes, you know? It's like, why do they do that? Why do they listen to that? Why? Why, you know? But that's my responsibility and that's your responsibility is to understand why why they're, you know. And it's not compromise. See, the difference between being relevant, or, or there is a difference between being relevant and fitting in. See, I'm not endeavoring to fit in. I'm, I'm just not cool enough for this generation to fit in. Amen. You and Dad do pretty good. Me and Dad, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, we do pretty good, he said. Fitting in. Country music. Country music. And Pitbull. <laughs> He's not that yet. <laughs> <laughs> But see, I want to be able to have something in my life of the presence and the power of God that's authentic and real and not conjectured. So that when I associate with this generation, their response is, I want that. I want what they have. And I don't care, thanks, Caleb. Sorry I made you stand up here. Legs aren't getting weak or anything. No, I want that because, see, I was reading an account of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. It's where Jesus goes to, is invited to, to Levi, the tax collector, or we know him as Matthew. To his house and Matthew invites all his friends which you know you're a tax collector who's all your friends tax collectors you got to understand something about tax collectors in the in the eyes of most Jewish people because they were Jewish people who were siding with the Romans to extract taxes from the Jewish people so they were considered the lowest of the low you know So he's invited to Levi's house for dinner, and Levi invites all of his friends. And it says that there were many sinners and reprobates. Well, the reprobates were the tax collectors. The sinners were the good ones. <laughs> In the Jewish eyes, the sinners were all right, not really. But they called the tax collectors reprobates. But it said that there were many sinners and reprobates that were there. And the next verse says this, and it just, it just messed with me. It said this, and many sinners and reprobates were there. And it said, and many of these were the disciples of Jesus. The sinners and the reprobates, many of them were disciples of Jesus. Now, two things I learned from that. One is... We have to understand that we have to disciple people into salvation and disciple people out of salvation. What we're not what we what we're somewhat good at is discipling people out of salvation, but we're terrible about discipling people into salvation. We have to learn how to disciple people into salvation. Okay. The second thing that happened to me is God asked me a question. How many of you know when God asks a question, he's really not looking for an answer? He's looking for you to confront an issue. It's kind of like my wife. My wife asked me a question. She's really not looking for an answer. She's waiting for me, to, for her to give me the answer. To get my attention so she can give me the answer. God says this to me. He says, who's following you? And man, I don't know about you, but that, I I started examining my life. Because the Lord said this to me. He said, if the only people that are following you are Christians, you are failing your mission. And I don't know about you, but that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because the only people that were in my life at that time were Christians, and I felt comfortable. I felt good about myself. Got all these wonderful friends, and they are wonderful friends, but they're all saved and love God, and I was living in this comfortable little bubble, and all of a sudden God comes along and pops that wonderful little bubble with that question. I was loving him, doing what I do, preaching the gospel, doing all that. And he told me I was failing. So you know what I did? I started reaching out to my unsaved neighbors because I thought, better start there first. So we started inviting our unsaved neighbors into our home. And reaching out to them and loving them. And getting to be friends. Now they're not they're not reprobates, but they are probably sinners. But getting to be friends with sinners because that's what Jesus did. See, this isn't anything new, is it? But it's something that we have either forgotten or pushed to the side and tried to cover because we didn't want to have to deal with it. And we're dealing with generations today that are looking. They really are searching. And they dress different. They sound different. They do things differently But I'll tell you what, they are really looking for an authentic encounter with God. And many times on their journey of doing that, they reject some of our traditions. Don't get upset about that. Just understand they're trying to have an encounter like we had an encounter. Because we did the same thing. We rejected the traditions of the generations before us and our pursuit to have an encounter with Christ. How many remember the Jesus people like in the 70s? Oh, my gosh, they caused no small stir. But well, Look what came out of it. A move of God. They did things differently. They looked differently. They were hippies. If you're under 30, you don't know what a hippie is. How many know what a hippie is? Tell me what a hippie is. Long hair. They smelled. Peace. <laughs> Anti-establishment. You hit on something, Abe, eh? because, see, that's what some of what we're seeing today with this generation is they are being a little bit anti-establishment. And some people, that upset them. I relish it. Why? Because I understand that they, they are going to find what they're looking for. Be like the U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But they're going to get it. But they're not going to get it. In my form and fashion, Brad, they're going to get it. Now, they can be influenced from me, but they're going to get it in the most genuine way that they know how to get it. And I think we need to help them instead of resist them. See, we're real good about protesting things. Real good about protesting things. We're deplorable on influencing. I I got, I got some stats all to me. I won't bore you with a lot, but this 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 is just a few things of how non Christians view us. Okay? In a survey that was done of I don't know, it was like twelve or fifteen hundred non Christian people who who wrote down they're non Christian. Ninety one percent say we're anti. We're anti gay, we're anti, you know, this, we're anti, we're just anti. 70% say we're insensitive. 87% say we're judgmental. 75% says we're too involved in politics. My experience has been this that when I sit down with people agnostics and atheists and the like they can readily tell me what we're against the Christians but they can't really Communicate to me anything that we're for. See, this generation, all they've heard is what we're against. We're against the Smurfs. We're against Janie Got a Gun. Do you remember that one? No, no No, no Power Rangers. No Ninja Turtles. No Casper Casper the Ghost. Dear Lord, young man, you're scarred. (laughs) How did you ever make it this far? Come stay with me. (laughs) 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 Send him home with Mike. So you're getting the crux of this is that we're going to have to be willing to change some things. We're going to have to be willing to think about some things differently and do some things differently. If We are going to fulfill our mission. We were just talking about technology. Pastor Mike and I were yesterday and then Abe and I were a little bit today. You know, the thing about it is, is that technology is here to stay. You know, it's not not going to go away. It's only going to advance, so why not use it for us instead of fight against us? So let's do this. Let's, let's take a selfie. Everybody wave. Come on. Come on. All wave. Everybody wave. Everybody wave. Everybody wave. I gotta get, this, get the curmudgeon on the first row there. All right. See, that's what you call selfie. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing about it is, is that I learned a long time ago this precept is that you can either kick against the goads or understand how to make something work for us. That's what Jesus did. He came along and he realized that the Pharisees had kicked against the goads, and Jesus realized how to reach a generation. Because he did it in the most unorthodox way. Think about how you can reach a generation instead of resist a generation. Complain about a generation. Isolate yourself from a generation. Take time to sit down, especially you... you, more seasoned individuals here take some time to sit down with this generation and just talk to listen listen to them listen to what they're passionate about listen to what they care about see that's the problem that we were yelling so much and protesting about everything we never take time to listen Matthew 12:34 says this out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak if you never take time to listen to someone's and hear their heart all you will do if you don't do that all you will do instead of responding to their heart is you'll react to their head you'll react to your head I learned something that day sitting down with my 102-year-old great aunt. She taught me. I was the student. She taught me that day. She taught me how to be willing to make the adjustments in life, to enjoy and to relish and to grow from the ever-changing culture in which we live in. Because if not, you'll grow old before your time. This same great aunt, when she was 87 years old, taught her great-granddaughter how to do somersaults by doing them with her out in the front yard of her home. 87 years old. I'm 62, and I'm a little hesitant to even try that now. But see, if we're not careful, we'll grow old church and miss and miss what God is doing Jesus asked this question I'm going to close with this He said to Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? See, I can't answer that question for this generation. I can only answer it for me. But what we tried to do is I've tried to answer that question for this generation instead of helping them know how to answer that question for themselves. I, I thought about this. I'll do this. Whose guitar is this? The church's. All oh, right, I can jam out on this one. Then. See, what if we got in? Uh, won't even be in the right key. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has. How many of you remember that song? I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in you. That was a good song for today. Not so moving today. Did that turn to was that wild did that really do something to you? Can you do any Eric Church? I'm doing good to remember those keys, those chords. I can't even get them right. See It was great for that day. It was a song for that day. But it's not the song for today. See, because what? Songs express sight, encounter, experience. If we are singing those same songs that we did 30 years ago, means that we've not had subsequent encounter or experience with Christ. That's why we sing a new song. We say, well, I don't like all some of this music. You know what it is? It's because they're having these encounters with Jesus. I've learned something to listen to the, what I call the prophets and the poets. And many times I listen that they are coming from the world of music. And I listen to their words because what is it? It's these insights that this generation is having. And I learn from it. And I'm willing to change and see things and do things differently. I can't impress that enough on you. So you're willing to Change? Are you willing to change? Because if not, I'm going to sing another song. I'd raise my hand, just get me off the guitar. What do you have that somebody's willing to follow? I recently read this by Billy Graham, who, well, let me say this. Let me make you see me. Billy Graham said this, never once did I ask for the audience of a president. They always asked of an audience of me, With 11 presidents, from President Eisenhower to President Obama, 11 presidents have requested an audience with Billy Graham. And I don't know about you, but that is so powerful. That the supposed most powerful man in the world has requested the audience of this man of God. Who's requesting your audience? Who's asking to spend time with you? Who's asking to hear your words? And if not, why? Think about that.